0: Let us turn now to consider words you will find in the passage we read. The Epistle of Paul to the Philippians, chapter 2. And we'll read from the end of verse 12. Philippians chapter 2, reading at the end of verse 12. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. To all things without murmurings and disputings that ye may be blameless and harmless as sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Among whom ye shine as lights in the world holding forth the word of life. Just to introduce the words very, very briefly, indeed. When Paul wrote this letter, he was in prison in Rome, awaiting the outcome, awaiting a verdict, to see whether he was to be put to death or allowed to continue in the work to which God had to which God had called him. While he was not prison. This church at Philippi communicated with him, sent him what refers to a gift of uh, love. And uh, in writing to them, he thanks them for their remembrance of it. But uh, in the course of the letter, he also reminds them that uh, they have a great responsibility with reference to, the, to their own salvation. And therefore he makes this emphasis that we have in this verse, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And uh, as we look together at these words this morning, we look at the duty to which he calls them here, work out your own salvation. And then look at the spirit or the attitude with which they are to engage in that duty with fear and trembling. And then thirdly look at the encouragement that he gives them. God works within you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And then look finally at the conduct their conduct in the world and the environment which God has placed them, that they were to do all things without murmurings and disputings, and to become blameless and harmless, sons of God, without rebuke, and so on. First of all, in the duty to which they are here called, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, to understand this exhortation, we will look first of all at what this word salvation means in the context. Work out your own salvation. We remember first of all that this is an exhortation addressed to people who were already Christians. People who were already what we would call today Saved. He refers to them at the beginning of this chapter, at the beginning of this epistle, rather as the saints of the Lord in Philippi. So, whatever salvation means, we have to recognise that it speaks of people who were already in that state, who were already saved. Now, <coughs> Considering that and taking that with us, we would have to say then, in the first place, and looking at it very generally, that salvation here means for these people all that the gospel through which they were saved means to them. Or put it another way, it speaks of all that the gospel of the grace of God in the hand of the Spirit called them into possession of work out that salvation now for example in the context in which this verse is set, he has just been speaking to them about one great attitude of mind which they have been called in salvation they were to imitate the mind that was in christ to cultivate that mind That this mind be in you it was in him so Salvation here embraces imitating the mind that was in Christ, becoming like the Lord Jesus Christ in the attitudes that they were to adopt in the various situations in which they would find themselves. They were to consider all the blessings and all the privileges and all the responsibilities to which they had been called by God in their salvation it embraced also unity, oneness amongst themselves they were to remember that in salvation they weren't to do anything in their own spirit they weren't to strive for vain glory but in loneliness of mind they were to esteem others better than themselves they weren't to look at him, every man on his own things, but every man on the things of others. They were to remember that this was the environment, the realm, the state, the condition into which they had been called when God saved them by his grace. And they were to remember something else, that salvation for them, as for everybody else, calls people into a life for which, in which they are to strive for perfection no Christian is perfect Paul in the next chapter is going to speak about this I'm not perfect he says people are saying accusing him of claiming perfection for himself and he writes and he disclaims that and he says I'm not perfect I never said I was perfect but I say this that I want to be perfect so the Christian isn't perfect but the salvation into which he has been called, the salvation that has laid hold of him, calls him towards that goal. This must always be his objective. He strives towards this great goal in salvation. So we arrive at this conclusion, and I put the meaning of the word salvation, that it means all the blessings and all the privileges and all the responsibilities and all the duties into which God calls us when we are saved and it also reminds us of this, that the great end for which we have been saved is that we may be become perfect like our Father in heaven, the privileges and the blessings and the responsibilities the life into which we have been called terminating in perfection in the presence of God. Now that's a very general uh, description or definition of the meaning of this term in this text. Work out your own salvation. Which leads us to consider, secondly, what this means, working out our salvation. And someone has suggested that perhaps the best way of understanding this is by considering that the word here may mean work at your salvation we are to remember in other words that no person can imitate the mind that was in Christ without working at that kind of life no person can cultivate a spiritual oneness a spiritual unity a spiritual desire to promote the interests of other people and the good of the cause of Christ without working at that unity and at that one. It means that no person can hope to become perfect, without working at that perfection, without striving towards it. In other words, it is the emphasis upon the responsibility and the activity of the christian with reference to the salvation to which he has been called now you will notice that throughout the bible this emphasis is placed and this responsibility is laid placed this emphasis laid and this responsibility is placed firmly at the door of the christian There is no point in thinking that you and I are going to become good Christians, or may I put it like this, going to become better Christians by just waiting for the thing to happen. No person is going to keep bickering and a spirit of animosity and a spirit of rebellion and a spirit of self-seeking at bay without working at keeping them at bay the problem is this that the root of all these things is in our hearts and we have to make sure that these things don't spring up we have to make sure that we don't feed these things and the best way of keeping them at bay is by exercising Christian discipline and working at the salvation towards which God, into which and towards which God has called us. Now, here Paul is stressing something that the New Testament lays great emphasis on. Two things. The first one is this, we're looking at this together in the prayer meeting on Wednesday studying Galatians. The first thing is this. that works works of themselves will not save us all no matter what you do no matter how industrious you are no matter how zealous you are no matter how careful you are in your life no matter how highly principled you are no matter how much you try to keep the law of God no matter how upright or how moral you are no effort of use of mind will save any one of us remember the emphasis of the New Testament we are saved not by works in other words works won't save us all but the same Bible lays this emphasis another side to that page you've got to turn it over and you've got to read what it says on the other side and it says this no person who is saved can live without works in his life, or this is the way it puts it. If you are saved, you must prove it by the way you work, by the way you live, by the way you act, by the things you do. And this is the meaning of of this term. Work out your own salvation. Work at it. Bring it on towards its end. And you know what the end is. The end is perfection. those of you who are in school or students you know what it is to work out a mathematical equation or a scientific problem you get a paper you see an examination you get a paper and you've got this question to answer and perhaps something in brackets there you've got to you've, you've got to show in your working paper the way that you've worked out the answer how you came to this particular conclusion the answer may be right but you've got to show that you knew how to get the right answer and you've got to show all the working on that piece of paper and this is the thought behind Paul's mind the Christian has an end in you perfection he knows the Bible tells him that he must become perfect like his father in heaven that he must become Christ like that he must become a better Christian and as he lives his life day by day he's got to work it out out. He's got to show that he means what he says when he claims to be a Christian. Remember, this was one of the great arguments of the Apostle James in his letter. Someone came to him and he said to him, listen, I'm a believer. Oh, you are, says James, very well then. Prove to me that you're a believer by your works. And this is the emphasis of the New Testament. No person becomes a believer by his works. On the other hand, no person can be a believer without works in his life showing that he's in business showing that he means it that he's in earnest about this matter of salvation so here the apostle is exhorting these christians in philippi Luke he says work out your own salvation keep at it don't stop halfway keep working and you know This is what makes a Christian life so difficult, at times, that you've got to keep plugging away, you've got to keep plugging away, sin doesn't vanish overnight, you don't trample underfoot all these things that are inconsistent, and all the things that are alien to the spirit of Christ, you don't get rid of these things in a night, or in a day, in the moment of conversion they rear their ugly head day after day after day you go to bed at night, perhaps it didn't bother you you get up in the morning, you wake up, the first thing in the morning maybe the first thought this awful thing that you thought you had got rid of and you've got to crucify it again you've got to start all over again as it were and you've got to keep these things down work at it, work at it and then notice something else here thirdly work out your own salvation now there's a purpose for Paul saying this your own salvation you see these people in Philippi they were very thoughtful Christians practical there wasn't a church, there wasn't a communication in Paul's day that was more loving and more practical than the congregation at Philippi that was the kind of people there were. You know, there are people like that. They, they think of everything. And they do things for people. And no one knows that they're doing. And they don't want anyone to know that they're doing it. That's the kind of people the Philippians were. They were full of practical love. And they sent tokens of that on more than one occasion to Paul. And Paul says and writes to them, he thanks them profusely, but he reminds them, listen, he says, see that you work at your own salvation your own and I think that he's here pinpointing something that you and I would do well to remember that important though other things may be in your life if you remember this let me remember as well that in the matter of salvation nothing is more important than your own salvation and do you know that you and I can become so busy doing things that we neglect our own salvation one of the complaints of the church in the old testament was this in the song of solomon they made me keepers of my brother's vineyard my own vineyard i did not keep and you know there's a very real danger here as someone put it speaking to christians and speaking to young christians beware of the busy life that leads to barrenness beware of the busy life that leads to barrenness don't neglect your own salvation don't neglect the great end to which god has called you as an individual don't forget that you've got to work at your own salvation that you've got to think about your own heart your own mind your own thoughts your own will and your own inclinations and your own motives and so on work out your own salvation and then, fourthly, the this work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Or, as I indicated at the outset, this becomes our second point really the attitude in which they were to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. Some time ago. <coughs> A man whom I knew very well was admitted to a hospital for some uh, psychiatric treatment that he required. And in, being, in uh, being interviewed, when he went in, you know what happens? Very often doctors and nurses they ask various questions. They asked this man where he was from. And he told them he's from a part of Lewis. And they asked him what church he belonged to, them. and he told them. He wasn't a free church, but as near the free church as makes no difference, really. He uh, told them. And the comment of the senior doctor present was this always oh, a dangerous combination. Lewis and this particular church. Now you know, there are some people who think the emphasis that we place in our preaching is bound to produce in people this element of fear and trembling when it comes to the Christian faith. In other words, there are some people and some very, very educated people who are of the mistaken impression that a convert in Lewis means that well here's someone else who has really embraced this kind of life that is going to make him dull and morose a person who's going to be full of fear and full of trembling now if there are people in whose life the Christian faith produces that kind of attitude it produces it I believe because in the main they are making the wrong application of Christian truth to their own lives you see when God saves a person that person isn't brought into the realm of fear into the realm of trembling he's brought into the realm of the liberty of a child of God and that's the person and the only person of whom the Bible speaks who is able to rejoice with a joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. And whatever else that fear and trembling may mean here, it does not mean that Paul wanted the Christians at Philippi to become dull and to be full of foreboding, to go around with, with long, long faces, and never to reveal it to people that they had any spark of joy in their lives if there are people like that. These people are, are, are giving their own impression of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is not what the gospel is about. It is the gospel of joy. It is the good news of salvation. And people, by its power operating in their lives, are liberated to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. They've been set free from slavery, the slavery of sin. They are in the glorious liberty of the people of God. That's the Christian. And yet, here's Paul saying to these Christians, work out, work out. Your salvation with fear and trembling. Well, you see, it has nothing at all to do with a, a person sort of sitting and moping all day and saying, oh, I wonder if I'm saved. Knowing perhaps full well in his heart of hearts that he is saved, but perhaps dead scared to say it. I remember one night at a question meeting in Glasgow many, many years ago. Uh, Someone speaking a question that night and saying, I could go, he says, to the church in Glasgow tonight where I was saved. I could go to the very spot and I could point to the pew for the Lord spoke to me by his grace and called me and saved me. There was an old woman present that night who was horrified that a person would dare say in public that kind of thing and could claim that measure of assurance in public. She was a good woman, but totally wrong, totally wrong in her attitude. That man was perfectly right in making that claim. God had revealed himself to him, and why should he not? that publicly whenever he could Paul was never afraid or ashamed to tell people where he was saved and how he was saved and by whom he was saved why should you be and it's no mark of humility let me say for, for, for a person who knows that he or she is saved and to be afraid to admit that and kiss people don't think all that highly of them that's no mark of humility that's fear the fear of man and that's not the fear that Paul is speaking about when he says work out your own salvation with fear and trembling he's not suggesting that these people should lose their assurance there was no man who spoke often about the Christian's responsibility to seek assurance and to lay hold of assurance so he's not asking them to uh, give place to dread and fear and foreboding and moroseness in their Christian profession. What then? Well, it's all about the attitude, the spirit that they are to adopt to God who saved them. You see, the fear and the reverence that Paul speaks about in 2nd Corinthians, chapter 7, 1 Corinthians, chapter 2, and here in Philippians, chapter 2, the fear and trembling that Paul speaks about here is that attitude of mind and heart that a Christian adopts to his God. As he works, out at, his, as he works at his salvation, As he lives the way God would have him live, he must always remember to adopt a reverent attitude to that God who called him to salvation. He must always have a spirit of respect for the Lord, always have a spirit of submissiveness to the Lord. After all, this is his great goal, he is called to be like the Lord Jesus. And there was no person in the world who adopted a more reverent attitude, a more submissive spirit to his Lord. You work out, you work at your salvation and remember as you work at it, give the Lord the place that is his due in your life. Give him the place that is your due. That is his due. Paul is here emphasizing, someone put it, not so much the difficulty of the task, but the solemnity of it. In other words, being saved, and working at being saved, is a very, very serious and a solemn business. Don't forget it, he says. Don't forget it. There is no better condition in life Than the condition of the person who is saved Neither is there a more responsible Or a solemn position Than that of being in a saved state And see that as you work at it That the proper emphasis is placed in your life The proper attitude to God Revere him And serve him. And submit yourself to him. That's the meaning of with fear and trembling. It speaks of the Christian's attitude. To the God who has gloriously saved him. Rejoice in that you are saved. But rejoice in the spirit of humility. And submissiveness and reverence to the one who has saved you that's the attitude and then there is this third thing and just no word the encouragement that he adds here for he says it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure now you know two things that he brought together we work at our salvation because God has called us to that we work at it but god also works in us in other words we are made willing to work at our salvation we are constrained to work at our salvation but remember, he says, and this is the encouragement. And how would a Christian become morose when he considers this? Remember, he says, it is God who works that willingness in you. Do you see, the Christian has no place in which he is to be proud in the presence of God? He can't. Because it is God who does everything in him. God is working in us. And God is working for us. And God is working through us. And Paul over and over again lays that emphasis of God before us. Who can be against us? Greater is he that is in you than they that are against you. It is God who works in us all good. It is God who prompts us to any good action. It is God who enables us to do any good thing. Therefore, the will or the doing of a thing is worked in us by God. These impulses, these right feelings, these Right determinations, these right actions, these proper eh, purposes and so on. Where do they come from? From me. Oh no. From God. Because I can't think one good thought as I am of myself, says the Bible. So any good thing that is in us, where does it come from? It is from God. And here he speaks of the gracious activity of God by his Holy Spirit in his people. Someone put it like this. It is in his hands that you are in his work. It is a holy work. In a devout submissiveness, carry it on diligently. Don't depend on any creature's impulse or on anyone else's help. It is God who in this this salvation works in you and through you and so fulfills his gracious will with respect to you. The Christian religion one of despair Nonsense The Christian religion is not that religion of despair But of joy and hope And help and strength And help Because God is working in us As we Work at our salvation In other words we work Because he Is working in us And he is impelling us to do all these things that the word of God calls us to. And finally, and in a word, as they work like that, as it were in conjunction with him, co-workers with God, so he reminds them of the conduct of which they are called in this world, do all things without murmurings and disputings, that he may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as light in the world, holding forth the word of life. Now, this is the conduct to which they are called as they work out their salvation, and this is very, very important. You know, I think that there are times when... Those of us who are Christians, I think that there are times when we live as though it didn't really matter how we lived well it does it matters profoundly how we live one of the great emphasis of Christ in the Sermon on the mount was that was that very thing that he was emphasising that the Christians, whatever else they were they were totally different to everybody else around them and here Paul is saying the same thing you Christians, he says you work at your salvation you strive and work in the right spirit. and remember that God is working in you, and remember that you are to be a certain kind of people. For example, you are to do all things without murmurings and without disputings. You are not to show a spirit of discontent, grumbling always this at the providence of God, disputing, calling into question God's dealings with you like the children of Israel in the wilderness, classic examples of this wonderful when they were redeemed and brought over the Red Sea, who was a God like their God a few days afterwards, grumbling, why were we brought in here? did he bring us here to perish in the wilderness? we're missing the food in Egypt, we've got nothing to eat, nothing to drink what kind of a life is this? you see, grumbling and disputing, well no Christian is to be like that And we are to guard against adopting that spirit. do you see the danger of it? You see, it's so easy to grumble. So easy to become discontented with your situation. But we're to guard against it. We're to fight against it. And we are to keep, we're to trample on the foot, the spirit in us that rises to that kind of attitude. Well, do all things without murmurings and disputings. Why? That ye may become blameless and harmless without rebuke in the world. Notice these three terms. Blameless, harmless, and without rebuke. Blameless. This is our word that refers to the Christian's outward life that he must have Christian consistency in his life, a life against which the finger of accusation will not be raised by an unbelieving world. You see, if you're a Christian here today, you will discover this, and you won't, dis- you won't be on the Christian path very long before you discover this, that there are people whose favorite ploy it is to find fault with you as a Christian. If you're a Christian husband married to a non Christian wife, you watch that the finger of accusation is leveled against you by saying, You call yourself a Christian? Similar with a Christian wife who's got an unbelieving husband. He will soon try to find fault with your walk as a Christian. Do you say the same thing? Do you think you're a Christian? Well, if you were a Christian, you think you'd do things like that. You think you'd be like that? same with Christian young people you non Christian contemporaries aren't going to stand by idly and just watch you and make no comment on the kind of life you live the kind of person you are the kind of things you say the kind of things you do your aptitude they're going to watch you like a hawk and they'll set standards for you that they won't set for themselves you remember that and you have a responsibility to God to live a harmless A a blameless life, that is, to live a life that is outwardly, without reproach. And you know, it's a tremendously important thing some people will say. Oh, that's hypocritical. All you're concerned about is what people are going to say to you about, uh, uh, what people are going to say about you. Well, my friend, I'm not saying it. The Bible is saying it. That the Christian's life, outwardly, is of tremendous importance. Not only to himself, but the cause that he represents. And he is a Christian who ought to be ashamed of himself or herself. Who, because of their folly and lack of wisdom, and lack of foresight, and lack of care, brings the finger of reproach upon the night. Because you remember this. If an unbelieving unbelieving world finds fault with you, rightly, it's not only you that they'll find fault with. It's the whole cause of Christ. Therefore, make sure that you live a life that is outwardly blameless, and also a life that is inwardly, as he puts it here, harmless. Now then, I know that it's. I know that we have to look to more than the outward life. We have to look to the inward one. Of course we do. And here he says, see that you live a life that is inwardly eh, harmless. That is, see that there is nothing in your life that dilutes your, your witness. Nothing in it that weakens the Christian profession that you make. You know that there are people, that's, it's a very solemn saying that. I don't know who, who, who used it. Initially, someone who was listening to someone else speaking and he said this about him, I can't listen to what he says because of what he is. It's a very, very solemn, assessment of a person's life make sure that you are inwardly what you are outwardly in other words make sure that your Christian profession has a witness from within you that backs it up now this doesn't come easily either we've got to work at it we've got to work at it that you may become blameless, that you may become harmless, that you may become the children of God or the sons of God without rebuke. Without rebuke, this is what was used in the Old Testament when the priest examined the lamb for the sacrifice of the Passover. He examined him thoroughly to make sure that the lamb was without rebuke, without spot or blemish. And this is the life that the Christian has sought to live, a life of perfection. Oh, you say, what a standard I know, I know what a standard this is the standard of the bible this is what we are to strive towards now no person is this but every person is to become this you see this is the this is the meaning of the word that you may be or may become that you may progress towards this this is our goal day by day it was martin luther who said the christian life is not one of having and it's not one of being, but of becoming what we are not. Striving towards this great goal. And as we strive towards it, we become the sons of God. That is, there is here the development from the child through to adolescence to adulthood that we may become. You see, progressing towards this great goal when we will be conformed to the image of Christ as the perfect sons of God And part of the difficulty of striving towards this goal is this that we live in the midst as he puts it here of a crooked and perverse world now just very briefly that means this This world in which you and I live is distorted. It's bent. It's crooked. That's the meaning of the word, it's distorted. You see, the Word of God is the standard by which you and I live. That's the norm. The world in which we live, the world of mankind, has deviated from the norm. It is crooked. It is bent away from that (laughs) rule. What God says isn't what matters to the world, but what it says. And the Christian finds it difficult to live because of that very fact that the world amongst which he lives is so distorted. The people are so bent away from the norm, the standard that he tries to keep. And the world is also perverted. That is, its outlook is all wrong. If it's conduct it's wrong, it's wrong, it's wrong because it's attitude is wrong. It is an evil and a dark world in which we live. The world of mankind. The world that is alienated from the life and the favour and the fellowship of God. Now then, the Christian is in that kind of environment. He can't opt out. He can't opt out. But he's got to bring his Christian principles to bear upon that world. And the more the world sees these uh, principles brought to bear upon it, the more the world resents these principles. Don't you think, my friend, that the world overnight is going to start loving you just because you're a Christian. Remember what Jesus said? If the world hated me, it will hate you let me give you an example of this this world of mankind in which you and i live this evil world that the bible speaks of hates the light hates the word of god hates the people of god you see it happening every day of your life say just now let me cite this example but these are some of the things that you see on television some of the programs that are presented on television And you get the impression that some of these program planners, producers, whatever they are, you get the impression at times that they're out to destroy the very fabric of the society in which you and I live. And they present things in the language of the gutter, the language that you will exhort your children never to use. They'll use it. Because, you see, they think, that this is the norm that is being presented and this is the standards that are being presented and if you and I protest if we dare protest against that kind of smut and that kind of uh, filth what is the reaction of the world? what is the reaction of the world? it's we who are wrong and they are right we are wrong And they are right. We are encroaching upon the liberties of people. People are free to say what they like and do what they like. But the fact of the matter is, my friend, that you're not. No one is free to walk down Street after this service take up a brick and throw it through the window of Woolworths. You're not free to do what you like, where you like, when you like. You and I are bounded by the law of this land. And the Christian is bound by the law of his God. And this unbelieving world hates that God. It doesn't want that God. It presents that God. Wicked, perverse world in which we live. And in that world, the Christian has to walk in this particular way, harmless, blameless, without rebuke, shining as lights in the world by holding forth the word of life I've spoken about this two or three times I came in so I don't need to spend just pass it just in the passing again remember this the Christian is always presented in the Bible as this world's light Jesus said ye are the lights of the world they bear light to the world and if you're finding life difficult today as a Christian if your life is being opposed by people who are with you and so on all you can do my friend is plug away be what god has made you and let the light of god's life shine through you be this world's light bearer holding forth the word of life I've got the picture here of a person you know the way that as we hear about about so much of late the Olympic flame being lit by runners running through various places holding aloft the torch with which they're going to light this flame that's going to burn while the games last that's the picture of the Christian here he's running he's living holding forth the word of life and his life is saying this to people why am I like this? Because God's word by his power has made me like this. You see, the word, it is through the blessing of the truth that it all began with you. And it is as the truth is blessed to you that it will continue through you to be a blessing to other people. The word of God and the hand of the Spirit gave birth to your Christian life. That same word is going to nourish your life, it strengthens your life, it invigorates it and energizes your life in the hand of the Spirit. In other words, you can't live without the Bible. Without it, you would have been an unbeliever today because its message came to you in blessing, you're a believer use it to strengthen your faith and if you're ever challenged as your position on these things always do what the Lord did the Bible says holding forth the word of life and as you hold it forth who knows what God may do with it and through it for them as he did it, as he did with it, and through it, for you. Work, then, at your salvation. Let us pray. Bless us today, Lord. Accept our thanks for thy goodness to us, and for thy gifts, for thy mercy. And bless us now, we pray Thee And the take for us today, and part us with thy blessing. Prepare us for our evening worship. For Jesus' sake, amen.